I do want to mention also that I have a great deal of respect for Pastor Winston. I appreciate him, consider him a friend, and uh, he's a good man. We, we enjoyed several lunches together, and uh, it's been uh, my pleasure to know him. I think every passage of Scripture, every truth in Scripture, put it that way, when you get a hold of it and you understand it and comprehend it, it changes your life. And so what we have is we have hundreds of truth throughout the Scripture that when you get it, your life can't be the same anymore because God's ways are higher than ours. I was part of a small group for several years. I was pastoring here in Lebanon. And what we did was we just shared together what God was teaching us through the Word of God that week and through our experiences in life. And we would share and then we'd study some of those passages that came out. And two things kept coming up, two truths over and over again for the few years that we had this group that I shared over and over because I'm a slow learner. The first one was God wanted me to reach out to lost people, to be bolder and to be more willing to talk about Jesus. This has come up again and again and again in my life. The second one, which is what I want to talk to you about today, is that Christ is always adequate for whatever we face. He's always enough. He'll always meet your need to serve him faithfully. He can meet you there and give you the power and the wisdom that you need. And that has astounded me. It's like, this really changes my life. Christ is always enough for whatever you face. Here's the passage, Philippians 4.13. And this is the Amplified. It's a little different. It amplifies it. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. That is beautiful. That's what I want to talk to you about today. But I don't really like preaching from a single verse of Scripture. I want to make sure that we and you and anyone has the context of what's going on. Let me tell you why context is so important. Let's say I was selling you my house, and you lived out of state. And I said to you, there is no need for you to come and see the house. I will send you pictures. And so I go around the house, and I take one foot by one foot square pictures of every corner of my house, every part of the house completely covered. And I send those to you in random order. Would that be enough information for you to decide whether or not you want to buy my house? You've got hundreds of pictures, one foot by one foot. Some of them are in the middle of a wall. Some of them have part of a light, part of a toilet, whatever, just random. You don't know. You look at each square, and sometimes you'll know. Like, I could tell where that is, but a lot of times you have no idea what room it's in. Okay, so think of Scripture as a house, and in the house are rooms, which is like uh, chapters, if you will, or or books of the Bible. Let's say rooms are books of the Bible, and then within that room there are chapters, different sections of that room. 
And within that, there are verses like the one by one square in my pictures. And so what happens is that if you just read a single verse from the Bible, pulling it out of context, usually you won't understand it. You'll usually get it wrong. To really understand it, you need the context. So here's the context. All that to say, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is, is stating his appreciation for the Philippians who supported him materially in ministry. They gave to his ministry, and he's saying thank you for that. And so he says, this is uh, 4, 11 to 13, I'm not saying this, that is thanking him for, thanking them for their gift. I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have, to be, have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Did you hear what he said? He said, I've learned the secret of being content regardless of what's going on. Have you learned that secret? That's, a, that's quite a thing to say. Whatever happens, I know how to be content. That's what he's saying. Would you like to know what that secret is? What is it? I want this. I'd like to be content. I'd like my joy and my peace, my satisfaction, my happiness, not to depend on what goes on, but to have somehow know this secret of being content regardless of what goes on. Well, here it is. Verse 13, and again in the Amplified. I want you to repeat it after me. I'm going to say a phrase, and I'd like you to repeat it because this is so good. I don't want you to miss it. I have strength for all things. I have strength for all things. In Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything. And equal to anything. Through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Wow. Christ is enough. He's bigger than what you're facing. The psalmist said in, in Psalm 112, 7 and 8, speaking of a righteous man, or 6 to 8, Psalm 112, 6 to 8, surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. Now, can you say that I have no fear of bad news? You may be waiting for some serious medical uh, diagnosis to come back. And you could say, I have no fear of bad news. Can you say, I have no fear? How could you say that? Not because bad things can't happen. We know bad things happen. 
Bad things happen to Christians all the time. That's not the reason we say, I have no fear, and I have no fear of bad news. The reason you can say you have no fear and you have no fear of bad news is that you know that your God is sufficient for you, whatever you face. I have been working on this for about 10 years. I've made some progress, praise God. I have a long ways to go. I have a long ways to go. Can I share some progress? That'd be all right. Uh, a couple months ago, I was in Eugene. I had a Teen Challenge student with me. One of the things I do is counsel and disciple and um, teach out there in Shed. And we were going to go to Churchill High School and, and do some witnessing, and then I was going to speak at Eugene Mission for their service. When we pulled up near Churchill High School, it dawned on me that I had left my notes for my preaching back in my car and shed, which is about 45 minutes away. And I had a decision to make whether or not to go back, skip the church of witnessing, uh, and, and get those notes or not. Here's the progress. There was no panic in my heart. I just said, Lord, if you want me to do my best to recreate what I was going to preach, or if you want me to say something else without notes, I'm willing to do that. I trust that you're going to supply what I need. That's progress, because it could be, <gasps> my notes are not here, how am I supposed to speak? <laughs> Christ is enough, whatever you face. Here's another example. Some of you might have participated in our summer jubilee several years ago. Some churches came together and we did uh, a worship service together outside on a Sunday morning. And then in the afternoon, uh, kind of an uh, outreach to the community with children's toys and uh, lots of services provided, like backpacks for people and stuff. So uh, I was speaking, and I was surprised at the size of the crowd that was there in that Sunday morning service. I think we had a... Uh, at least and during the day, at least, we had about 1,500 people come out, and there was a good number at the service. And as I looked at the crowd, I began to think, Ed, you need to be good. There's a lot of people here listening. And I started putting pressure on myself and get like, come on now, you, you get a little scared. And then it dawned on me, Jesus Christ has called me to do this, and he will supply my need. And the fear went away. Isn't this a great truth? It's so simple, but man, it's profound. It will affect you today if you believe it. That whatever you're going through, whatever might come your way this afternoon, this evening, and through this week, Christ is enough for you. Really changes your perspective. So what are you afraid of? What are your fears these days? Do you know that you can be ready for and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into you? Will you by faith take hold of the unlimited resources of God? You have access to the king of kings, to the creator of the universe, to the one who knows everything and has all power. I used to, when I pastored in Springfield, go down to the Willamette River and sit on a, a, a log down there 
and just kind of marvel. There was a spot where there, a current kind of came, came to the side and ran by in front of you there on the shore. And, and I just used to sit there and marvel at how the water just kept coming and coming and coming. And I think, you know, tonight at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., when I'm sound asleep, it's still going to be just coming and flowing and flowing. And Christ's grace is like that. It's endless. You never use it up. It's always available to you, and there's always enough for you. Takes away not only every reason I might have to be scared of someone or something, it also takes away my maybe proneness to feel self-pity. How can I feel sorry for myself at the same time believing that Jesus Christ is enough for me and that I can be ready for anything and equal anything through Him who infuses inner strength into me? The two exclude each other. Feeling sorry for myself excludes the thought that Christ is enough and the thought that Christ is enough for me excludes feeling sorry for myself. Paul prayed an interesting prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. For the Ephesians, in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Don't you like that phrase? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And he prayed for three things, and that's the third one I want to concentrate on. Pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints, and his in." comparably or incomparably great power for us who believe. And then he goes on to say that power is like the power that rose Jesus from the dead. So Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus was that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. That is, that they go, oh, I get this now. I comprehend it. I understand it. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same kind of power is accessible to me. Wow! That was his prayer for the church, that they get that. Resurrection power dwells in us and is accessible to us if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. May may the Holy Spirit awaken our hearts to that reality because it will change everything. So I don't have to wait until something happens to have victory in my life. I don't have to wait until a wayward child returns to have victory in my life. Or or maybe it's a marriage that needs improved. You don't have to wait till your marriage gets better to have victory in your life. You don't have to wait till the economy gets better. Or any other circumstance, you don't have to wait for that in order to be satisfied and content and at peace and walk in victory because Christ is enough for you today. Not just after this or this or this happen. So listen to this verse again. Philippians 4.13, the Amplified, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength in me. Into me, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. There was a school fire decades ago in a little town in Texas called Ithaca, Texas. 
Anybody here ever heard of that town? Just curious. Oh, one person. All right. It's a small town. But the fire killed 260-some people, mostly students, elementary students and staff. And so they said, um, we're going to rebuild, and we're not going to let this happen again. We're going to take the latest technology and put it into practice so that this never happens again. What was the latest technology when it came to fires back in the 40s? Was was, uh, do you have them here? A sprinkler system. So, they bought a sprinkler system. Great. Um, they felt good. It was, it was like uh, cutting edge. They were, they were doing tours. People from all over the world came to their school and checked out this sprinkler system that would stop a fire. Then when the baby boomer generation came along, they needed to expand because there were a lot more elementary school age kids and they realized the sprinkler system had never been hooked up. So here they were thinking. They had access to it. They thought it was hooked up, but they were, it wasn't connected. And I want to say, we can live like that. We can go about our life. We know there's a Savior. We know there's Jesus. But we're not connected in such a way that we're drawing on His power on a daily and moment-by-moment basis. How about you? Is this good news this morning? That you could be ready for anything and equal anything through him who infuses inner strength into you. Apostle Paul had boundless confidence that Christ had the ability to match any situation. Can I use a poker illustration this morning? <laughs> uh, well, that won't be offensive, I hope. In, in, in poker... Um, you have a choice of calling or raising at one or folding. Yeah, folding or raising at one when it comes to your turn. And I want to say with Jesus Christ in life, when it comes to whatever circumstances you're facing, in a sense you can raise it one. In other words, he's always enough. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And just a few verses back in 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? We have access to that kind of power. So can any situation arise in which Jesus Christ is less than adequate in your life? Can any pressure come up in which Christ is not enough? Can any problem or responsibility or temptation come into your life in which Jesus Christ is inadequate? If you say no, this has huge implications for how you live. I'll give you an example from my daughter, my oldest daughter, Hannah's life. Several years ago, she went to Thailand and spent a few months over there going to school at the end of her college career. And, and also she wanted to do some ministry while she was there. Well, it was a difficult setting. It's like missionaries, when they go into a different culture, have major adjustments to make. It was hot. It was crowded. Where she lived, there was no, no chance to ever um, 
have privacy. She couldn't get away and be alone. Her roommates talked into the night, so she was short on sleep. There were bugs all over her bedroom and bed. She didn't like the food. She didn't know the language. The language was irritating to her. So all this is going on. And one day she's at a marketplace and her Visa card and iPod are stolen. They ran up something like two or three or four thousand dollars on her card. I don't know if she knew that when she called us, but she called to tell us what had happened. Mom and Dad. She says, Mom and Dad, don't worry. <laughs> Any of you who have grown children ever have your child say, don't worry? Of course, they don't want you worrying. But she said, God's got it in control, something like that. He knew this would happen, and I'm trusting him. And we could hear in her voice, no panic, just a perfect peace. Here, she had all this going on, living in Thailand. Everything was difficult, lack of sleep, bad food she didn't like, etc. And then this happens and she is able to trust that Jesus is going to be enough for her. Isn't that cool? That, that, what that says is, that says more about Jesus than it says about her. He's enough. He's adequate. He can give her peace in that situation. He can give you peace in any situation that you're facing. So, when you wake up tomorrow morning, you can say, Bring on the day. I'm ready for anything. I'm equal to anything through Christ who infuses inner strength into me. And circumstances don't have to dictate how you feel. You know what happens at the end of a day if you have a, a significant other, you may ask them, how was your day, honey? And you know what we tend to say? Well, it was good or it was bad according to what happened during the day. I had a good day, you know, I got a raise, or somebody said something nice to me, or, you know, my, I, made some, I made a sale and made money, or, uh, but, but it's a bad, or I had a flat tire, or my boss was grumpy, or I'm not getting along with someone at work, or, so it was a bad day. And we, we evaluate a good and a bad day according to what happened during the day. But Paul's calling us to a, high, a better standard that is a, that's above what happens. It's above to him knowing that he's adequate. And we can have a good day even when bad things happen during our day. My ministry is called Heart of Revival. And about three years ago, I got a letter from the IRS. It was worse than that. I opened the letter and it informed me that I was no longer a 501c3 organization. Um, that means that people can make a donation to the ministry and have it be tax deductible with the federal government's blessing. Well, I had lost that privilege. I'm going, what? <laughs> and I read more, and they said I'd not returned the papers that I was supposed to file. And I didn't know this. I thought, I mean, I knew I was supposed to file papers, but I didn't realize that I was in danger of losing my status as a 501c3. And so that was hard news. 
And I did say to myself, I said, God's in control. God's sovereign. I'm going to trust him with this. But things kept getting worse. I couldn't get any help from the IRS when I called. Um, I requested things from the IRS that they did not send to help me to try to get it reinstated. I learned that I was going to be charged as a corporate at a corporate tax rate over a two-year period, both years. I don't pay taxes on things that are given to a nonprofit ministry now, but I was going to have to pay two years of tax. I was going to have to hire somebody to get me out of this mess. All this was going to cost thousands of dollars. I did cry out to God. God, I've only had bad news about this. <laughs> Could you give me some good news? <laughs> I did crawl out. But all the while saying, God, I know you're sovereign. I trust you. This, it trusts your trust in God. It, te- it tests your trust in God when the IRS is involved. <laughs> now, I'm serious. I'm not knocking the IRS, but let's face it. It's hard to say, God, you're sovereign. I trust you completely when you're dealing with the IRS. That's a pretty good test. Well, by the way, I learned that the end of that year, they changed their policy and they've made an easy form now. I wouldn't have to hire somebody to do it, to be reinstated. And they changed their policy and made it easier to get reinstated and then not pay the corporate tax rate uh, retroactive to the point where they dropped you. Within three weeks, those two things happened and I was, my ministry was fully restored. Uh, Now, that's an answer to prayer, but not really the point of why I bring it up. The point of why I bring it up is, even if they'd have never restored it, I could still trust that Jesus Christ was adequate for me. Habakkuk was a farmer, and he understood this concept. Habakkuk, the Old Testament prophet, that's one of the books of the Bible, minor prophets we call them. He's a farmer. War is coming to Judah, and he's losing everything. And listen to what he says in Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. I'll stop there. That's pretty bad when you're a farmer. you got nothing. He says, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my sovereign God, my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Habakkuk understood this, that he could look to God and God would enable him like a deer or a mountain goat to walk on rocky, high, hard places that most animals can't go that God would enable him to go to places, that is, to live with circumstances that were hard in a way that was supernaturally driven as he trusted God. Peter also understood this. In 2 Peter 1, verse 3, he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Beautiful. 
So I want you to apply this. I want you to apply this concept to your life this morning. So look again. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. How ought that to change the way you look at your life? How should that change your outlook today and this week and on going forward from here? What changes in attitude and behavior should this truth make in your life? If you're like me, I've been at this for 10 years, and I feel like I'm, I have a long, long ways to go. This is not something that you can just do once and forget. It's worth reminding ourselves over and over again, and that's why I just ran off some little cards with Philippians 4.13 in the Amplified and set them back in your entryway here at this table with the other literature. If you want to pick this up, Hang it on your mirror or put it in your purse or your Bible or whatever, your car, just to remind yourself to retrain how you think. Because most of us, when something bad happens in our life, the first reaction is, oh, no, why did that have to happen? I want my first reaction to be, Jesus, you're enough for me in this. And that requires retraining. i got to change how I think. So you're welcome to pick up one of those. There's also some book, prayer book marks about my ministry back there if you want to pick that up. I'll close with this. My wife and I were newly married, living in Eugene. Got home late from something one night to our duplex that we rented. And I realized that I had left my house key in the house. called a locksmith. It was late. I don't like staying up late. I'm an early-to-bed guy, so that makes me a little anxious having to call a locksmith late at night, missing sleep. Pay for the locksmith. They let us in, and just at the, about the time he lets us in, I reached into my pocket and realized that I had an extra house key on my ring. There was no need to call a locksmith. I could have used my own key and got myself into the house. The answer was in my pocket. I want to say to you, whatever you're facing, in a sense, the answer is in your pocket. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, resurrection power is available to you for whatever you face. It's radical, and it will change how you live. Are you willing to take up the challenge of retraining your mind to think in terms of Jesus Christ is enough for me. One last time, let's read it together aloud. Philippians 4.13. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Can you stand as I pray? Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that not only do you forgive our sins and put us in right standing with God through your death 
and resurrection, but you also dwell in us and are adequate for whatever we face. And Lord, we confess today that we've often not lived that way. We've forgotten this. We've lived disconnected from this great Savior, this great truth that you are enough for us. And we don't want to do that anymore. So we're just saying, Lord, help us to take full advantage of who you are. To not be fearful, to not be uh, self-pitying, but to draw on your power and your resources for whatever we face. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.